welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour number 80. We're starting five minutes late. Uh, a couple technical difficulties on either of our ends. Setting up new headphones. Ryan is in a new location, as you can tell by his beautiful white background there. But yeah, I'm joined. My name is Brett Schaefer. I am joined as always by Ryan Henderson. And on these episodes, we discuss anything we want in the investing world. So that could be earnings. You know, could be the SBF trial, the FTX stuff. We could talk a lot of crypto, which we are going to be talking about today. Probably not the whole episode. Um, this one, it looks like if we have our notes here, we have Meta AR glasses, little Disney update, Birkenstock IPO, Ozempic fears. Very good slate. Uh, if you want to watch these live, they go Thursday mornings, 9.30 a.m. Pacific, 12.30 Eastern time. You can watch the replays on YouTube as well or listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I think that's a good intro, Ryan. Maybe, how are you doing? You moved into a new spot and you're a little sick, so pretty good week, right? <laughs> yeah, it's been rough. It's been a little tough to get like all the prep done that I'd want to do. Like, you know, some for these shows, we don't actually prep, but there's always news out there and you kind of have to keep, I don't know, basically you got to read all your typical sources to find stuff and getting all that done has been a little tough. So I'm, I'm a little bland on topics, but the SBF trial has been kind of interesting, at least in my opinion. So I've got some stuff on that. I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Moving has been a pain. I think anyone that has moved in their life probably knows that. And the, the sad thing is it's like, it's only going to get worse moving from here because you just collect more things over the years. So it's, <laughs> this is when it's supposed to be easy. Yeah, anyway. of course. I know. I know. In apartments that are under a thousand square feet. Yeah. Once you have a house, I mean, that, that gets, uh, yeah, yeah. gets well, even worse, but I guess we're I, not at that stage yet. Anyways. Uh, so we've got Birkenstocks IPO. We've got more Iger stuff. There was Microsoft being, I don't know if they were sued or investigated by the IRS, SEC something. I should probably look into it a little more, but allegedly they didn't pay $29 billion in taxes from 2004 to 2013. Oof. Sorry, Steve Ballmer. It's not a great look, but Steve, they, re- Steve. they released an 8K, which is basically, I think like the SEC equivalent of a press release. So I'll maybe dig into that a little bit, but uh, other than that, I don't know. What, what do you have? I have the Ozempic stuff, and I think that'll be fun to talk about. And if we can get to it, we have a chart on different savings trajectory, or excuse me, spending trajectories among different demographics, as is probably not a surprise given that the population in the United States is aging. We're seeing a lot of growth from the older generations, and maybe we can talk about any, you know, stuff around that. All right. We have some comments here, some questions. Good to have some of the people joining. I know we only have a couple usually, but they're usually pretty active. Uh, 
Mr. Dapper says, glad to be here. Uh, we have a question here from Tom saying, what's up, guys? If possible, can you touch on Ally CEO announcing his departure? Any red flags? Maybe we'll just talk about in general, we could hit that. I think that could be a fun one. The yeah, it just kind of when a CEO departs, when he makes you nervous, when it doesn't make you nervous. I think with Ally specifically, one thing that maybe a bit wary about this as a something to watch out for, something to be concerned about is that it's right before earnings. Uh, on the other hand, though, he is staying on until early next year. So that's not that's actually typically a good thing for me. It shows that it's more of an amicable departure. It's something that they may have been planning for a while. Uh, on the you know, when you compare that to the Unity CEO leaving immediately, essentially getting fired after really making a lot of blunders over there. That's a big difference than the ally one. But I'm curious, Ryan, your thoughts on, you know, management's important to us. And when a CEO leaves, how does that feel? Because it's always uncertain. Well, this is a good example of moving, interrupting my news flow, because I honestly had no idea that this came out yesterday, but I'm seeing it for the first time. So I haven't had a chance to really read it, but obviously the CFO left last year on a kind of curious, sticky, not very good looking circumstances. So I don't like that. Uh, I haven't read through this whole thing, but I'm hoping that it's a little more, sounds a little more planned. That way it doesn't feel like it's kind of just random. Obviously when your CFO and your CEO leave right after a period when there's a lot of investment concern around the asset side, Lose the asset side. No, the yes, the asset side of the loan book with the loans. Uh, it kind of makes me wary, and it feels weird because I don't know. Okay, we're investors, so my initial thought always is: okay, people at the company that are going to get big performance-based compensation want to be there because they have a good sense that things are going to turn up for them, and. When you see them leave, it makes you feel like they know something you don't. So honestly, it does concern me a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 something to watch for sure. It's, for sure. it's another note to have. I would say that this also could be the board or yeah, just the board of directors saying, hey, the stock's been underperforming a lot. Maybe it's time for a change here. You've been here for a while, right? It could be them being upset with the CEO as well. I think just important. Look, the one that makes you really nervous is when it's an immediate firing, right? And it's you know the, the effective immediately, even if it's a resignation, that it's a firing. They just do that for the press release. In this case, it's a little less nerve, maybe nerve wracking or a little less concerning when they say, Hey, the person's going to stay on for six months or something like that. In this case, I believe it's like four or five months, but either way, it's never great when you have a CEO leaving that always adds some concerns. Uh, and we have another question, uh, from Mr. Dapper Capper on top golf Callaway. Uh, said Brett, you recently commented that you don't like it as much anymore. Can you elaborate? I think I'm worried a bit, or I don't have confidence in the returns they can get on the big real estate 
and just basically, you know, all their facility investments that they make for the top golf stuff. I'm just concerned that you need a lot of volume to these places to get them really pumping. And they have dynamic pricing because they use the basically what everyone else uses, similar to like a golf course or something like that. And I'm just concerned that they're not going to get the volume flows, or I guess maybe I'm not as I don't I don't know how to say it. We just don't know yet how good the business is. It seems like a solid business, but we just don't know how how popular it can be versus all the money they spend for these facilities. Yeah, honestly, I haven't kept up with it enough, but I remember seeing some of the numbers come out during the merger prospectus that said, you know, basically we're getting, I think it was like 40 or 50% cash on cash returns in like year two or something on these new, uh, new, new complexes. It it just never seems to show up in cash flow. The, well, I I remember, I remember looking and seeing it was like cash flow was always lagging. There was always these adjusted numbers and there was big, and maybe maybe you could chalk it up to capex on new new places, but it just felt like it was kind of a heavy adjustments company that kind of turned me off. Yeah, I worry. I wonder how they're going to do during a recession. I think it's. Yeah, I agree with that. And if I remember correctly, they used adjusted EBITDA a lot, which for a very capital intensive both manufacturing and basically real estate business, that's a pretty useless metric yeah i used to like them a bit more it's been on the watch list and one thing that has concerned me probably the biggest concern is a slowdown in same store sales at top golf which i thought had a long runway for most of their facilities to have very solid same store sales growth you know this decade so i it's been only one or two quarters but that's something you really need for a business like this is solid same store sales growth and well, they don't call it same store, but same venue, whatever it is. So well, the, that, that's think been it's, a concern for me. Don't you think it's a business that would be tied to like the economic cycle a little bit? Like it feels like yeah. one of the first expenses to probably go if budgets are tightening for consumers. Yeah, which is, I do have that feeling as well, which is why I'd like to see how they perform during a recession, which we haven't yet. So, all right. Let's go to a topic. What do you want to hit first? Anything catching your eye? Well, the SBF stuff is pretty entertaining. So Chit Chat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers, but we like to call them by their ticker symbol, IBKR. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies, Charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%, rated the lowest among margin fees. The ability to trade stocks, bonds, options, futures, commodities, and more with high interest rates paid on instantly available cash balances and the ability to lend your eligible stock shares to earn passive income all on one single unified platform. Restrictions may apply. For more information, visit ibkr.com. Member SIPC. Open an account with IBKR today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For those that don't know, Sam Bankman Freed, former CEO, founder of FTX. He's currently on trial uh, for criminal charges. Basically, is he going to go to jail or not? And Caroline Ellison, who was his former lover and CEO of Alameda Research, which was like the sister hedge fund company uh, to FTX, which is really just Sam's hedge fund. It's actually where they got the start. And that's kind of where he made a name in crypto. And then they launched FTX and he made Caroline the CEO of it. It, She testified yesterday, I believe, maybe two days ago. And a lot of things were revealed that made it, I think, probably proved that, well, it's just what she's saying. But she said stuff that maybe confirmed what people already thought of Sam, which is that he's has a bad moral compass, I guess, Does has a hard time determining right from wrong or is willing to look past doing the wrong things because he believes it's in the greater good, which there were some interesting tidbits. Did you see all this? Um, I saw some of it at least, but there's a lot of information. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of it was just, you know, he was directing her to make certain changes, which basically, if that's true, convicts him of, you know, whatever it is, securities manipulation or fraud in this case. They were, they had two separate balance sheets. They had one that they, for external purposes and one for internal purposes. And they would just, cross off or basically eliminate a bunch of line items for the external reporting purposes, which is, it's kind of the, they are who we thought they were situation. Uh, There was also a bunch of fake accounts from uh, ladies of the night in Thailand. Do you see that part? Yeah. And it was a part of a scheme to bribe the Chinese government, something like that. I don't know the full details, but it sounded very interesting. And then there was also, they were looking for a billion dollar, not bailout, but influx of capital from the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, which I, I don't think that, I don't think the Saudis ever ended up investing, if I'm not mistaken. No, that but, was just something she said they were considering. And yeah, it's, I don't know how to describe it more of a, to keep the party going maybe, or to keep the, <laughs> to keep the Ponzi going, as you might describe it. Yeah, it's interesting. The other part is he made sure that no one messaged really on Slack or anything public that wasn't encrypted, which if you're requiring all your employees to message on encrypted uh, platforms, it's probably like you're admitting wrongdoing, in my opinion. He's like, we don't want any of this stuff to show up in the news. There's no, if that's your thought going in, there's no way what you're doing is right. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because if I was a, maybe at a larger company, I would get annoyed because you get these leaked emails sometimes and 
I don't know if I would enjoy that very much, even if it's not incriminating things. It could just be, you know, you get at the big tech companies leaks and stuff like that. Maybe I would try to be fairly secure around that, but saying that you can't have any communications on Slack for the quote unquote things you don't want to show up in the news. Yeah, that's incriminating. I, I mean, Binance has done the same thing. I think the one thing that's clear from this, though, is I feel very bad for Ellison. She's had a rough go of it. She got taken advantage of. And yeah, it's feel bad for. Her. Yeah, to some extent, I, I do feel bad because people are like. Well, right now, people like are right kind of now, mocking her for, for yeah. a lot of the wrong reasons, but she did get paid a $20 million bonus in 2021. She was making a hefty salary, 200 grand a year. The, she knew she was doing some of the wrong stuff, but I think probably the co-mingling of your work relationship with your love relationship probably wasn't a good idea. And I, I imagine that kind of made it a sticky position for her. But here's some of the... So Tracy Wang, I believe this is a reporter to the Rolling Stone, I guess, previously at Coindesk. She says she, she was at uh, the, the trial. She says, Caroline doctored different internal and external versions of Alameda's balance sheet that removed certain line items. Line items like Alameda's loans to insiders or open term loans. Even Alameda, even Alameda's balance sheet had seven alts, basically eliminations. There was Chinese bribe to withdraw billion dollar funds stuck on OKX. Uh, Alameda used wallets of Thai prostitutes on the exchange. Base, there, this just goes on and on. Eventually, it seems like they were just filling holes with worse and worse things. And the idea from the outside looking in that, I mean, from, from what I understand, Sam's legal team is basically saying it, it got lost in the chaos. He was not overseeing the decisions made at Alameda. He was the CEO of FTX. He was very busy. He, he didn't know what was going on. From this testimony from Ellison, that, that is so far from the truth. I mean, it sounded like he was basically just reporting directly to him. She was reporting directly to him. There's no way that she was making a lot of these decisions solely on her own. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, no one was forcing her hand. She kind of, she probably knew what she was doing and she could have quit at any time. Maybe, a lot of people maybe did. Testimony will come up. Hey, maybe testimony will come up. Yeah. So I guess we shouldn't have too much sympathy for, but it looks like I think with, I, if there was betting markets, maybe this, the, if it was like, okay, is SPF guilty of the crimes they're alleging? I would say it would be at like 98%. I am, it looks like he's guilty. And I don't know what anyone else is looking at. We were, the confirmation is there. He is guilty. He did these crimes. He's going to go to jail. I don't think we need any other information. Yeah. Yeah. We'll that see. Michael how Lewis book out. is going to age is really poorly, I think. Which is funny because Todd Combs had such high praise for him. That was interesting timing because I bet that was recorded before the recent stuff. So I don't know if you would have brought it up just because it's kind of weird timing at the moment. But during that interview, yeah, which came out, which is nice. I wish they would go into more details on that thing. It just was a big name drop fest, unfortunately. 
Uh, but some de- some decently dis- interesting anecdotes from that interview. And yeah, he said, Michael Lewis, one of the smartest guys I've ever met. So I guess it's an example of, and I've, I've thought about this quote from Munger the last few weeks with SBF, a lot of stuff it, where he basically says, it's terrible if you have an IQ of 150 and think it's 160. It's actually better if you have an IQ of 130 and think it's 120. So I think there, I, I worry yeah. that, that everyone's trying to overthink this thing. He's guilty. He stole customer funds. He should go to jail. Yeah, I agree. I had to. All right. Agree. We, the, I wanted to, this just came to mind. I didn't have it jotted down or anything like that. But last week, I saw a tweet from Andrew Friedman, who uh, follows the tech, media, telecom industries, TMT, very closely. He's a good analyst. And he said it was like a, I can't remember word for word, but it was like bold prediction. Match Group is not a public company next year. Ooh. What do you think about so that? private equity or something? Or private equity. Someone takes them out. Or even acquired by another public company. Yeah. What are we looking at as a market? Originally, I didn't think. Originally, I thought, ah, it doesn't seem realistic. But you look at BK's experience, right? Came into Zynga, basically readied it for an acquisition, got acquired by Take-Two. You look at, obviously, the, the results have been lackluster, you could say. And it seems like they are writing some of the wrongs, but the stock is obviously very depressed right now. Feels like there's maybe, it's hard to tell today, but it feels at least looking back a year ago, it felt like there were some much needed management changes. It seems like that's kind of coming to place, but I don't know. It makes sense. If you can really harness, I guess, the earnings power of that business, it's worth a lot more than what it's trading for in public markets. Yeah. I think it might be a little, did he say within a year? Yeah, I think. Well, here's what I think the executive team wants is to see momentum in their turnaround story before getting bought out because I don't think they want to get bought out right now, right before. They want to see if their turnaround strategy works. And if it does, then the stock price will probably be significantly higher and then they'd maybe go for a buyout. I don't think they're going to do it before the turnaround strategy gets into play because they already brought in the new executive team. Uh, the new CEO just bought a bunch of stock. I'm sure a lot of people have a bunch of options here. And I think they'd rather wait a few quarters or something like that. So maybe I would say within two years, I'd be more confident there. But I'm just kind of trying to think of the incentives there. If there was an acquirer, point. who do you think it'd be? You think it'd go private equity? Yeah, I think private. It's kind of hard to see who would want to buy this. I don't think they'd allow Meta to do it. Right. None of the big tech are going to get allowed, especially Meta. And that's the one that maybe makes sense. But these things are so differentiated because like we've talked about before, one of the reasons why these apps don't really get competition except for for the peer plays is that you most people want to separate their dating life from their social life. So the social media companies are really not, there's no way they can compete. I don't know who the buyer would be. That's the question. I think that's the one of the maybe one of the problems. Yeah, could be. Now, did you hear about this Disney activist news? I did, but I want to hit a question here okay. first from John. 
uh, says, good morning, love listening. Was one of your thoughts on Oak Tree Specialty Lending Corporation getting 11% yield with Howard Marks slash Bookfield Fund? Thanks. Just wanted to hit this and say, hey, we don't know anything about this. And I would love to DM maybe uh, about that because that is an interesting you know, high yield there. But besides that, I don't know anything. And then we also have one on Ally and American Express on forward earnings. Maybe we can hit that. You know, after this Disney yeah. thing. So whoever whoever I, asked that, well, I'll just say, we'll John, th- to... thank you for uh, thank you for listening. But I'm sorry, we with the specialty lending, we are yeah. unfortunately you're asking the wrong people. Yeah, we'd love to learn more though. So if you want to hit us up on Twitter or something, we can talk. Okay, yeah. Let me, I say we take this question here. Rogue CPA says for some of the depression in multiples on names like Ally and American Express. Do you believe the forward earnings don't quite reflect the risk of loan losses rising or asymmetric risk of going to zero? I would say for both those companies, the risk of going to zero is very low. Like, yeah. For for one, there's they're well covered now because they've kind of been building up capital on the balance sheet. I'm thinking mostly of Ally, but with American Express. You, it would probably require a very, very bad econ- economy in general because of the where their loans are placed, and not to mention the loans is not like it's not their entire business. It's actually quite small as a percentage of the revenue. And percent is interest revenue. Yeah, might go a little higher as we normalize, but yeah, most of it is payment revenue. It's I guess unless a bunch of high income earners suddenly are unable to pay their bills, which seems unlikely to me, which is who American Express really targets. It's pretty much the highly affluent. I don't think they're going to zero. And I think it takes more than just higher loss rates for Ally. I mean, this was kind of our thought in initially buying, which is that those auto loans are one of the first things to get paid, even in the worst possible scenario. Let's say it was between your home loan and your auto loan. You could live in your car. And there are people that end up doing that. I know that's like the worst possible scenario, but you need your car to earn the income to pay off your other loans oftentimes. And so, yes, loss rates can still go higher, but they've they've jumped relative to the last two years. They're in line with the normal averages. And frankly, I think they have I think the market kind of reflects that expectation that they could go, that they're going to go higher. I agree. And then one thing they're facing headwinds on the rising interest rates. It seems like, and the fed obviously can change their mind. It seems like the fed is going to keep rates flat and their plan is to maybe lower them slightly for the next two years or so, which would help ally. So I think generally the thought about, yeah. Okay. Here's another question. Is the concern then that they can't grow their car loan assets? I would say that maybe that is a concern because they have pulled back a tiny bit and we'll see what the numbers look like next week. So this could age poorly. Their earnings are fairly early in the, the earnings season calendar, along with the other banks. We did get a question about thoughts on bank earnings. I don't have, maybe we can talk about them in a couple of weeks, but we really only follow a couple and we're not experts at all on financials. So I don't know if we could have any crazy takes but maybe it'll be fun to talk about some of the results. I would say that's one of the other benefits real quick here is that 
maybe they're not able to grow their car loan volume as quick as they're hoping, but it's not like a home. It's not quite a cyclical, like people need cars. They, what is it? The average uh, people turn over their cars once every like seven years on average or something like that. It's, there is demand for it by default, as opposed to it just being like opportunistic. But yes, I think relative to previous years, volumes will likely decline, but they don't have to lend in the automotive segment. Like if they can get higher earnings, just buying, I mean, there's a spread right now between their savings accounts and three month treasuries. Yeah, it's small. It's very small, but they could technically do that and they would be definitely under earning uh, or excuse me, not earning as much as they are right now. But I think what what would attract us to allies that we think the downside is is low because of the how well capitalized they are, the over 90% FDIC insured deposits, the fact that the car loans are very you know, steady. They have a hundred year history of making loans in the car business. The reason they went bankrupt at GM is because they got into the mortgage stuff that everyone got into. And I think the upside is that when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And I think, have we done, I don't know if we've done a full podcast on Ally. Maybe we could do one of those in the future, but we had some interviews on Ally, uh, which maybe someone could listen to for a fuller look. But the upside, I think, is that a lot of downside is being priced in by investors right now. They're not any optimistic scenario. The stock probably works very, very well. And the company itself is already pricing in for significant declines in used car prices and a significant increase in uh, what's the exact term? Loss, just losses on their loans, right? Write offs. Write offs. That's the term. Net, net charge offs, delinquency rates. Net charge offs. Right. So it's, they still have a lot of room for that and their deposits are growing. So I think it's it's a very interesting situation. I think we it's harder for. Here, or, go ahead. I think it's harder for an automotive lending company to go for their loans to go bad then for someone in the home lending space. I know it's kind of obvious, but yeah, I guess if you make it well, if you make bad enough under (laughs) anything go wrong. Yeah. All right. right. Uh, We have questions. What do you you want to hit? There's more comments, but do we want to hit any of our planned topics? Uh, Yeah, we can hit the planned topics. We have a question though. I want to hit, Take 10 seconds here. Thoughts on LVMH. Uh, we are going to be doing a December theme 
of luxury companies and LVMH is one of those. So don't really follow the industry closely, but I think month of December will be very fun, very timely holiday season as well. We'll be hitting LVMH, Ferrari, Hermes, and a TBD. So yeah, thank you for all the questions. So let's hit one of the topics, Ryan. The Disney update, did you want to hit or what did you want to do? Yeah, we can talk about that. There's an activist investor. I'm not really familiar with the guy, but a lot of talk about that this week who has accumulated a sizable stake and wants to enact some changes. I think uh, it's not too surprising that someone's trying to step in here and, and do something. The only thing, and there were some rumors that the activist wanted Disney to buy a gaming company. The problem for me is that I don't think it's not like a mismanagement issue, in my opinion. I think it's just a hard, I think Disney's in a difficult spot. So just walking in and saying Iger's done it poorly, which whatever, I I mean, I'm I'm not that fond of Bob Iger, but just walking in and saying, no, we're going to buy a big video gaming company. That seems like maybe the wrong strategy. And there's, there's, things that are hard for them to solve like disney's place in the streaming universe that doesn't just change on a whim because you fix management right 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 so yeah they have major headwinds and huge competition from people that were not there 15 years ago netflix amazon prime apple and youtube those are formidable competitors who are taking market share and doing it in a big way and specifically with the sports stuff which is just looking like a big big huge huge concern for the company how the the rumor is they wanted to buy electronic arts which technically makes sense because of the sports aspect the star wars aspect the the marvel aspect but that's already a big bloated company adding them to disney would not what's that going to solve from a linear media aspect you're all you already have a very deep relationship with this company it's not gonna yeah i guess they're actually generating profits maybe that would help right (laughs) but i don't see what i don't see how much that changes here yeah there was also news a headline that came out this week said bob Iger found disney in worse shape than he expected now overwhelmed and exhausted this is hilarious He's leaked like, by Bob Iger. He yeah. never left. He had an office the whole time. Wouldn't give up his office to Bob Chapek. He was involved. And now he's like, oh my gosh, it was not Chapek guy. He really, he left this place and who hired the, shame who hired on him. him. <laughs> who hired that like, guy? Like he wasn't there for the last 20 years and he just walked yeah. in and was so surprised. It's yeah, uh, he does love, he, he loves leaking stuff to the media. That according to sources, Bob Iger is saying, well, we know the sources. Uh, it's you. <laughs> he loves to point fingers as well. Yeah, they got him on the Names. the number, like the the direct line at the Wall Street Journal. It's just, it's just, oh, that's Bob. That's who's that line one? That's Bob. He's got something to leak to us. All right, let's put it on page two. Yeah. I so I don't know. This is a good example. Like Disney, this seems like further proof to me that it's too tough of a problem to solve as an investor there are simpler investments to make yeah and the parks they're also hiking prices more on parks right now there was 
a recent article about that, but I think the underlying assumption should just be that prices are going up every day there. And yeah. the funny thing is there's like so many ways for them to increase prices across the parks. Like you could do the ticket, like the, the, the theme park ticket, you do the five day ticket, you could do hotel prices. You could do the uh, multi food. park pass. You could do food. You could do the skip the line passes. It's just, there's so many levers for them to pull and they certainly have been pulling them. So uh, I don't know. What, what I don't think do it, think I don't think it would, covers the losses for streaming. Do you think? Yeah. Well, do you think you would buy Disney, especially because they're investing more in the parks and seems like they have a good pathway to get good returns on all that investment? Would you buy them at ten times parks earnings, operating income? Ten times parks operating income. Like just if I could buy just the parks. No, no, the entire uh, the entire bit. Yeah, also have to take everything else at the moment. No, no. You think there's better options out there, cleaner options, as you mentioned? Well, could, like here's the thing: it could it could work. It could work. It's just it's just it's just a hard it's a hard business to invest in, right? It, like the stock could work, but I mean, okay, how much does Parks earn? Do you know? I don't. Uh, I could maybe try to pull up the numbers, but. We'll maybe do an update as they they have their full year numbers coming out. My thought is like eh, I don't know when. Long term, let's say that their position in the new form of media consumption is worsened, right? So they're like the fifth stream, the fifth, whatever, most important streaming player in the streaming universe. And their linear assets don't mean a lot. Doesn't that harm parks over time, or at least the pricing power at parks? Yeah, and especially if kids are going on YouTube Roblox, right? I think that hurts them as well because the brands aren't getting as much love, which you make the money on that from people going to the parks. Uh, I got a comment here. You guys sleep on Disney cruises, maybe, but I would listen to our Royal Caribbean episode. That is a tough industry. That is, uh, that's all I'll say. It's a tough industry. And, and unlike, there's also a question on EA has Jedi Fallen Order, and that's made by Respawn, the people that made Apex Legends. Yes, but I believe, and I haven't followed them closely, I believe the leader of that quit. So gaming's tough. It's very hard to retain talent. I'd maybe listen to that recent Strauss Zelenik episode on Invest Like the Best on how to actually retain talent in the industry. And it's quite, it's a pesky industry. And if you are retaining talent, it's probably not the most profitable operation either well i mean take two is crush the market but sure let's see about that over the last five ah oh maybe not the last five but since they've taken over yeah let's go take two five years stock is up stock is up nine percent in the last five years well i bet they're retaining talent though I uh, I mean you can't. It's you can't like you it's can't so hit fickle. on their track record. Over the last ten years, they're up seven hundred some percent. I mean, come on, you can't you can't bash their track record, Ryan. It's phenomenal. It was a I won't one. Have that. I won't have that. It's a one hit. They haven't. They've been so unprofitable no, no, for no, no, so no. long. Not one hit. Not one hit wonder, Ryan. Not one hit wonder. One franchise wonder. No. 
where are they without GTA? Come on, they have Red Dead Redemption, the second most popular individual title ever. Red Dead Redemption 2, at least. I don't think that drives enough performance for it. I mean, we we kind of sold it for a reason. I think we sold it for a reason, which was the the spend is unpredictable. That in terms of what's required to generate a real hit AAA title these days, like we're seeing it with EA, we're seeing it with Take Two. They spend so much on talent and R and D, and it's ultra competitive today. Yeah, I'd also say that. Two K basketball or whatever you call it, also a hit. So it's definitely not a one hit wonder run. I think that is incorrect, but I agree. It tells. It a lot accounts of money. for like sixty percent of their revenue, doesn't it? What does GTA franchise? I don't know if they break that out, but I don't think that's correct. Except for on the launch here, but I don't think that's correct. I'm more of a hater. I think it's been well shareholders have done quite well from from like gta 5 for for the first five years of that yes they did well last five what have you done for me lately take two wow i mean the 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 price was pretty if you bought five years ago that price is pretty aggressive let's check that Come on, handy old Y charts. Let's see what that let's call it maybe EV to EBIT. That's a that's a fair metric for them, huh? Right? Sure, sure. Yeah, good as any. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, let's scrap out. Let's go to 2020. Sometimes they don't earn anything, so it's gonna yeah, the chart's gonna look funky. This is a funky chart. Okay. Um let's go to Oh my gosh. Come on, white shorts. You're embarrassing me here. Uh, the, uh, sorry, this but is making gen- for I mean, horrible audio, but in general, the yeah, like I think people were pricing in probably a new GTA game and it just got delayed and they were really investing into that for a longer time than people thought. And after the big success there and the big success of online, the insane profitability at the, you know, the, the 2K franchise, the NBA 2K franchise, and then the success of Red Dead Redemption 2, which I believe came out in 2019, but I forget the exact timing on that. Like five years ago, the optimism on this business was so high and they're like, okay, they're just going to keep generating, 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 but then they have a longer term time horizon. I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to outperform. Yes, it's probably not at as cheap a price. And Zynga is very, very uncertain, right? I don't know about that. Uncertain but... is generous. I think that was, we can, I think pretty much everyone can look at that and say it was a bad acquisition, especially after the, that was coming right yeah. during the IDFA changes, which was like sure to impact the business. Yeah, I think almost assuredly it would have been the price of that business would have been much cheaper. Here's the and- thing. Here's my cons- my quibble. We look at Bob Iger and we say, wow, transformative acquisitions with Marvel and my Star Wars Pixar. And then we say, did the did the Fox deal 
ruin his track record. And we kind of think it does like because they made this huge splash with Zelnick. Yeah. Why do we give him a pass on Zynga? Well, I don't think we, I don't think we give him a pass. I'm just, I tried to say that they have crushed the market and the track record is great, but I do agree. I mean, it is a big concern. And one thing that concerned me listening to that interview, as I think that the business still interests me and I potentially want to buy it at the right price. They talked a lot about the size of the company and how they want to be the biggest gaming company in the world. And I don't know if that, I think he could have some incentive there as an empire builder, which could be a concern for me. That's fair. All right. Any other topics? There's a lot of comments. Yeah. How about Microsoft? GTA says, yeah, interesting stuff there. There was a quote tweet of it, you know, oh, what do they call it? You know, those, those clickbait headlines increase your earnings per share with this one simple trick. <laughs> yeah. So that they is, probably just had their numbers to hit. Uh, I don't know. What's interesting is that it's irrelevant for the business today, unless they come, it comes out that they owe even more, but there's always, I think it's an example of no matter how good the business is, one of the best performing stocks ever, there's going to be things that go wrong. There's going to be people that do things that are illegal, especially as the companies get larger. I'm curious what your thoughts on it are. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, if there's a huge fine, it's not going to be trivial, especially if they have to close on this Activision acquisition. Like, that's a lot of, let's say they have to pay $29 billion in back taxes and they close on a 75, what was it? 70, $67 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard. $100 billion in cash out the window is, you know, although they they earn incredible amounts, I mean, it's not not inconsequential for them. I'm trying yeah. to... They didn't I don't have is, is there anything release. else to this? Is there anything, any takeaway from this IRS story? I don't know, but maybe it's like a even a further slash on uh, Steve Ballmer's reputation. That's right. They were, they were, I guess they were earning even less during that time period. Do you have a comment here that says Microsoft is the best gaming company to be honest? I disagree with that a lot. I think they're the worst. They are this Activision Blizzard acquisition is a big overpay. Uh, Bobby Kotick is very good at selling his assets and he's very, or buying are buying them. And yeah, Sony and Nintendo run circles around them. I think it's been clear for years the division, we don't have exact numbers on it, but is likely very unprofitable for them. Will probably become profitable because they have all this content from Activision Blizzard, who generates, I think, probably around two to three billion in cash a year, but they're not. They're the they're clearly not. Sony and Nintendo are much better, in my opinion. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I'm not sure about Microsoft's own internal titles, like what what have been hits and what haven't. You could say, what is it Minecraft? But they acquired that. You know, it wasn't. Yeah, that's probably their one success. Yeah, but it's an acquired success, and they've probably done well with it over the years. But they are not the largest gaming company in in terms of platform. Sony and Nintendo are both larger on a hardware base. 
and it it feels like this game pass has been kind of a nothing burger like there's not a lot to show for it and they have basically unlimited resources so i would say it's I don't know, maybe it's a testament to how hard the gaming industry is because they, they they can spend a ton of money and it's hard for them to get it right. But we, we don't yeah. actually have any segment profitability numbers. So it's just a guess that they're unprofitable. Right. Because, yeah, and there's a lot of stories out, about the, out there about them selling things below cost, kind of looking at the Sony numbers as well, trying to parse through things there. But it is a bunch of guesses. All right. Do you want to talk Ozempic? We have about 15 minutes left. And I thought Game Changer plus Pep. Ozempic plus Pepsi. Yeah. Well, we're going to do a full episode on Ozempic just to get the bubble really started. Or maybe just the market theme. People said that Ozempic is the next thing after AI to become an investing topic, which I think could kind of be fun because in that category, the people, the, the companies that are getting impacted could actually create some really good buying opportunities, which I will talk about here are some potential things that you know there's more stuff in our wheelhouse instead of just cloud flare and stuff we have no idea what's going on but earnings season kicks off with pepsi they have a little bit of a pro rated they're not on the standard calendar uh, i want to talk about them ozempic and the big cpg drawdown so if we look at their numbers organic revenue growth is up 12 percent year to date but if we look at the quarterly numbers most of the growth or in fact, maybe all of the growth is from pricing power. So volumes looked fairly weak across the board, except for a couple segments. If you looked at like LATAM beverages, it was 5% volume growth, but we'll see. I mean, that could be an anomaly. It's maybe a faster growing market. But if you look at their most important one, which is Frito-Lay North America, revenue grew 7% year over year with flat volumes. And then on the conference call, the CEO said, when asked about the new weight loss drugs, he said, so far, the impact has been negligible on our business, which I think maybe people could take as a good thing or a bad thing, right? Uh, but in contrast, we've seen retailers like Walmart, some other ones, maybe they're making excuses, but they say they've seen data of people that they know are on these weight loss drugs buying less food at their stores. And then the other thing I want to look at here, I'll probably just share the screen because it's kind of a good visual, but I'll describe it. I pulled up the charts. I think it's a three-year chart of Hershey, Pepsi, and Coca-Cola. Yeah, we should be able to see that. And all three, I think this is an example of the CPG category, are in sharp drawdowns. Hershey down about 32% in a few months. Pepsi and Coke down about 20%. Ryan, maybe I'll, we can get your thoughts first. The CPG drawdown, does it interest you at all? No, I mean, we actually did that CPG theme for our not so deep dives. What was it? Kind of, I want to say like six months ago. And we looked at Hershey's, Pepsi. There was another one. I think we might have looked at Philip Morris at that time as well, but it they were all trading at ridiculous multiples. So I don't think it's like necessarily results driven. And I would say it's going to take a lit like quite a bigger drawdown before I actually get interested. I remember we looked at it and said, like, 
in a 50% drawdown or half the multiple, maybe we'd be interested. But it was like Hershey at like 25 times. Yeah. And right now I think it's just below 20, but I'd have to confirm. So I would be interested in Hershey at a cheaper earnings multiple, but I, I would, I think it's a really, really good business. Yeah. And but it's not going to grow I, that fast. Right. But what are your thoughts about the Ozempic fears around these things? I think for me, it's wait and see. Everyone's going to have their comments. Hershey's obviously, or Pepsi's probably inclined to say they're not seeing anything, but I would Let say. Let me pull the you... chart here. Go ahead. What's the chart? Can you explain this? Yeah, I will. I will. What am I looking at? So it is basically comparing, it's got a lot of data here, but I'll just describe it because most people are just listening. So it confirms, it's a study, I believe it was from JP Morgan. It was getting passed around on Twitter. It looks at consumption of the weight loss drug users versus the total US population and then looking at the difference. So the worst five performers on 20% less consumption or more for the weight loss drug users are chips, crackers, popcorn, snacks, seeds, nuts, and trail mix, and meat snacks. And then there's also packaged portable sweet snacks, uh, packaged cookies, soft drinks, baking and cooking, all seeing significant declines as well. Um, here's, Here's what I think would concern me from the CPG companies, is that their consumption... How did they get this stuff? Just, uh, seriously, JP Morgan, they're powerful. They're running a lot of studies. Run, they're they're got a lot of cash. They got a lot of stuff. A lot of people working there, and I'm grateful for the leaks onto the internet that we can use for free. Really appreciate that, everyone. I think the biggest concern is that the consumption of these products is not evenly spread around the population. You have what you may call the I'm just trying to say this nicely, the 10 percent power users the obese people who may be the ones a lot of people are going on these drugs who are the consuming a lot more of these products. That that would be the thing that concerns me. You know, they're, they're, they're having a lot more of these products today and that would be the thing that concerns me. Who benefits the most? If Ozempic, let's say, has this actual massive impact and that data, I mean, I, I, I usually am a little reluctant to like, take any action on some of those charts because it feels like if you're looking for certain data and you have unlimited resource resources to conduct these studies, you can find data that supports your belief. Yeah, so it's just one data point, one data point. Kind of fade that, but if Ozempic really does shrink consumption for, let's call it salty and savory snacks and maybe soda, Obviously, Pepsi's harmed. Obviously, I don't know if Coca-Cola really has that much of a business in salty and savory snacks. Hershey's probably harmed. There's a, there's a lot of businesses that would be, uh, they would hurt, but who would benefit? Well, hard to Sprout, think on the Sprouts spot. Farmers what do, <laughs> yeah, of course, everything benefits Sprouts Farmers Market. It's a Sprouts, it's a Sprouts, it's a Sprouts Market. You know, we're just living it, right? That's uh, a little bit of a pun. But I, I think you'd have to look at it and say, what do healthier, skinnier people do in general that fat people don't? I don't know. Exercise? The gym? Is that really going to... 
but I think the whole point is that they don't do that. Well, they're taking this drug like in, in replace of that. Right. Isn't that kind of the, yeah, but you might be in more inclined. I think here, here's one fitness clothes, Nike, little women. True. You look because because if you're overweight, you generally don't look. You know, you don't you don't want to wear the tight fitting clothing, running shoes. I think that could benefit. Hard to think on the top of my head, but here's here's a couple categories. Well, actually, there's one, but there are some things that the Ozempic weight loss drug users had more of. And one thing that popped out: alcoholic beverages up five percent. The difference now it's not a huge boost. But I think from an investor perspective, you could look at it, and I don't know if it's alcohol for this thing, like solely, you know, spirits or alcohol, wine, or, you know, wine, beer, spirits. I think there could be an opportunity here if you kind of look at, study some of these alcohol businesses and they get jumped, you know, looped in uh, or lumped in with a lot of these other, you know, Ozempic losers, there could be some buying opportunities. If this data proves true, I'd like to look more into other studies about alcohol consumption and uh and Ozempic. I'm curious how many people are actually like taking Ozempic. Because if it's all data, oh it's a lot. Like, There's like four million people. Really? People are on the weight loss drugs. It was in the millions. Um okay. And it says half, uh, I'm not going to just Google and find the answer, but I did see it's in the millions. It, it surprised me when I saw the chart. It's a lot higher than people think. Oh. Got a comment here uh, from Big Pharma Shill, which is funny in this segment. Tattooed chef benefits the most. <laughs> That's a good one. Good. Oh boy. Nice, little, nice little joke there. RIP to that stock. Yeah. No, I... I... I find that kind of hard to establish any real beneficiaries here. Maybe, yeah, you could say maybe the alcohol brands, but five percent doesn't really the the difference. I think, yeah, it's, yeah, kind of. Maybe it makes sense because you're in better shape, you're not as tired, you're you're willing to do more social activities. Honestly, it kind of makes sense to me that it's it's not seeing a hit. Like some people might get hit because they're not. Maybe if you're an alcoholic. <clears throat> It breaks your addiction and you're not drinking 10 beers a day uh, by yourself every day, but maybe it spurs more social activity for people that aren't. Novo Nordisk, huh? That's the- uh, Novo Nordisk, yep. They are- uh, Yeah, that's basically the Taylor Swift of the Netherlands. They have driven GDP in a significant way that the central banks or the government had to- like they had to do, I think it was GDP growth or something. X Novo Nordisk. I think that could be them. I think it's that company. But yeah, there's Novo Nordisk and someone else. But yeah, I believe are they Netherlands? Uh, it's Denmark. hard to get the name. Yeah. So Denmark's GDP not Netherlands. Three, Denmark. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Denmark's GDP is four hundred billion, and Novo Nordisk market cap is. 340 billion. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's all just one one country all working at the same place. Yeah, we're going to drive the economy. Yeah, apologies to them, not Netherlands, Denmark. Sorry, I got confused. Close though. Uh, Someone said, I'm scared selling online Pepsi and McDonald's. McDonald's is another good one. Yeah, the fast food companies. 
I don't know if I'd want to own those stocks right now. And it just so happens that they trade at ridiculous multiples still. Like, yeah, I, I would say if, I mean, we're looking at these and it's like, okay, you're maybe getting 2% volume growth. Pricing growth, you could, I mean, for Pepsi over the last couple of years, it's, it's been, it's drastically outpaced what they were typically doing. Like they were raising prices in the teens. Like they don't typically do that. So I think the assumption should have been mid to high single digits revenue growth, which if you're paying 10 times, I think that's a good, uh, that's a good return there, assuming that margins are steady, but you're not paying 25 times for that. And yeah. that's what a lot of these were trading at. I mean, McDonald's, I think was at one point above 30 times earnings recently. And it's just such a mature business. Why would you ever pay that? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, especially when you compare some of these lower growers with short-term treasuries at five and a half right now. Okay, let's say you like these businesses. They're not, you know. Okay, you can be betting on them at these sort of earnings multiples, and you get a very small return. That's probably equivalent to treasuries, or you're betting on more multiple expansion which seems irrational, or you can sit in short-term treasuries, earn essentially the same that you would be in these stocks. And if you still like the businesses, you can wait for a potential buying opportunity when it's 10 to 15 times earnings. It doesn't make much sense to me to buy them today over treasuries. It's a whole different ball game when I can earn 5.5% risk-free. Yeah. I think initially it was more of a flight to safety. Like we were, we, I remember we were discussing that is basically like Just why flows, are these things yeah. trading at north of 20 times above market multiples. And it felt like a lot of people had gotten burned by tech investments at the time. It was also it coincided with like Google being torn down with AI. Like the stock was down significantly due to chat GPT concerns, along with some other stuff. Amazon was down, felt like everything tech related was kind of down. And people were like, okay, what's, what's a business that for sure is going to be around? And people just flew to consumer goods. Yeah, I guess that's probably, I think that's probably what happened. All right. Well, I think that's a good way to end it. We're at the one hour mark here. Thank you for everyone who joined. A lot of comments. I'm glad that people are having discussions in there, but yeah, a lot of jokes here from everyone, but we appreciate the comments and appreciate the questions. Uh, We go live every Thursday morning. Uh, Let's hit the disclosure here. We are not, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Had a lot of topics. I wanted to discuss threads, Uh, have a little bit of a bounce back there, which everyone should go follow us on there. Threads, Twitter's going to die. Let's go on threads. Uh, But yeah, we'll see you next time.